0: The student section is chanting, fire, Franklin. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I remember. Fire, Franklin. And now I'm walking around campus
1: and the same students are, coach, you're the best. You walked into a situation that may be the most complex that any head coach has ever walked into in the history of college football. It was excitement,
0: but it was also, you know, concern about really what am I walking yeah. myself into. It's funny because everybody says, okay, you're taking this job under sanctions, so you're gonna have time to build it. But then once the game start, nobody cares about care that me. anymore. I've also
1: witnessed how you build relationships and the way you've helped me throughout my career. I've seen you do things that's not traditional for football coaches. I've seen you cry in front of the team. I've seen you talk about love. That's not normal for football coaches.
0: I've always been an emotional guy. I just have always believed that if the players know how much I truly care about them, then that's going to allow me to be really demanding and challenging on them because they know it's coming from a good place. When somebody really cares about you, they'll have the hard conversation with you. If this place and this program is to win a national championship- When? What's that? You said if. When, when we do it? When. That's, a, that's, a, that's a good question.
1: Um, What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Next Up Podcast. I'm Adam Brenneman. We're in State College today at the Penn State football facility, actually in the running back room right now. Rearrange this whole thing for us to have Penn State head coach James Franklin on the podcast. I've been wanting to have Coach Franklin on for a long time. I played for him a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago now. But I'm excited to talk to him about all things college football, his journey, when he took this job at Penn State. The job he's done, I think, is one of the best head coaching jobs we've seen in the last decade of college football. All the success he's had with where this program was just 10 years ago is really remarkable. Before we get to the pod, please subscribe to this podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Press that subscribe button. It allows me to go around the country and have one of the very best guests in college football, just like Coach Franklin. Before we get to the podcast, I got to tell you guys about the presenting sponsor for today's episode, Athletic Greens. Listen, I've been super picky about who we allow to sponsor this pod because I want to promote things I actually use. And when Athletic Greens reached out, I was fired up. I literally use Athletic Greens Every single day. The reason I use it every day is because it's just one scoop and I get all the vitamins and minerals I need. 75 plus nutrients, vitamins, minerals, a bunch of other stuff that I don't even know what it is, but it's great for you. Since I started taking Athletic Greens daily, I feel better. My energy is better. My digestion is better. And as a guy who travels a ton, it's hard to get my vitamins and minerals in. With Athletic Greens, it's as easy as one scoop a day. As I've gotten farther away from my playing career, I now take my health more seriously and Athletic Greens has been a game changer for me. So if you want to take control of your health, try Athletic Greens AG1 today and get five free travel packs and a one-year supply of vitamin D free when you use my link, drinkag1.com slash next up. Again, that's one-year supply of vitamin D free and in five free travel packs when you use my link, drinkag1.com slash next up. And guys, supporting our sponsors supports me and allows me to do this podcast as consistently and at a high level like we have been for all of you. So please go purchase some AG1 at drinkag1.com slash next up. Let's go talk to Coach. How we doing? James Ryan, good cool? yes, yeah. How things going? <laughs> Where did you get these? Uh, Greg grabbed them. I don't I know. They're nice. Huh? Oh, yeah, they're nice. We, took, we, we, we raided Todd's office.
0: Yeah, nice. <laughs> <They're nice. laughs> How things going? Good? Good. Yeah, this is kind of the last week, and then we get some time off. So
1: Remember when. Uh, June used to be the easy month for coaches. No, not
0: anymore. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you doing this. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. No I've been. I have wanted to have you on for a while, and uh, and a lot I want to talk to you about. So I appreciate, especially during this time of the time of the year. It's not easy to get coaches yeah, to no, sit down for a while. To, happy to. Yeah. So you know, where I want to start is. 10 years ago when you took this job? I remember being in this building, in the, in the team meeting room, when you walked in for the first team meeting yeah. as the head coach of Penn State. I remember like, like it was yesterday. What was going through your mind when you walked in that door?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, a couple things. I mean, first of all, excitement. You know, mm-hmm. growing up in the state of Pennsylvania, playing football in the state of Pennsylvania, I came to camp. at at Penn State, uh, when they used to have those huge camps over in the IM fields. And, um, so it was kind of like surreal, you know, I never really thought that Penn State was a realistic option. I always thought it would stay kind of in the family, someone connected closely with the program. So when this happened, it was, it was surreal in a lot of ways. Um, you know and although i love vanderbilt and had a great experience there i knew i was going to have to leave at some point and then you you hope you're leaving for a job like penn state yeah. so it was it was surreal um but i i would also say i didn't really know what i was walking into yeah. cuz with the sanctions and all those types of things i didn't really understand a lot of the details and a lot of the details now may not seem as big of a deal yeah. like being able to transfer and keep your scholarship and play right away because now with the transfer portal, that's no big deal. Yeah. But back then, it was like – it was crazy. Um, you know, I remember we only had five scholarship offensive linemen, which like – People yeah. that understand football, that you know, they're like, five. Yeah. Uh, so it was excitement, but it was also, you know, concern about really what am I walking yeah. myself into? What was maybe the thing that, the one thing that surprised you
1: the most when you got here? You had the expectation or, or the thing that you said, we have to change this right away?
0: Well, I, I think the the first thing, the surprise was things that, I found out about the sanctions that they didn't tell me during the interview (laughs) process. Uh, They downplayed that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like that we had three players walking around on campus still on football scholarship that I couldn't replace. Uh. Um, you know, just, just some crazy things like that. I don't even think I knew about the game in Ireland. Like my first game (laughs) is Dublin, Ireland. I'm like, you know, can, can we just have a game like, you know, in, in, in state college or at least somewhere in the United States. Um, but, you know, I, I guess when I got here, I was shocked at how far behind the facilities were, mm-hmm. um, technology was, yeah. um, the bones were phenomenal, but I, I was kind of shocked about things like that. I just, um, that was, that was surprising to me. And then I think the other thing was the players the players themselves kind of had a wall up because I I think if I remember correctly, I was like the fifth head coach in like 27 months if you count interim head coaches and all those types of things. So the players were really tight after going through a ton of adversity, as you know. But it was almost like, okay, here's another head coach that's standing up in front of us. And there was a trust that had to be established with them that was harder to do than when I went, first went to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt yeah. had had no success. So, like, literally, as soon as they saw that I cared and I had a plan, yeah. they were all in. <laughs> yeah. They were all in. And at Penn State, because we'd never really hit rock bottom, mm-hmm. um, and there had been so much turnover after no turnover for 50 years, there was a wall buildup that needed to be, kind of broken down.
1: Yeah, and that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. I've said this a lot. I think, I remember talking to you about it when during those two years I was hurt and I would talk to you in your office a lot. You walked into a situation that may be the most complex that any head coach has ever walked into in the history of college football. That's a big statement, but it was as complex as it comes with sanctions, with the players. You know, you mentioned it. I remember the locker room even a lot of those guys came there to play for Bill O'Brien, and then then, then he leaves, and yep. and you got the whole the wall the wall the wall was up in the locker room, and you had to come tear it down. So two part question: one was there ever a moment when you were like, "What the hell did I just walk into?" <laughs> and number two, how how did you go about tearing that wall down? Because I think it happened relatively quickly.
0: Well, it didn't feel it didn't feel <laughs> like it happened relatively quickly, but yeah, I, I think there was a there was a moment I'm like, you know this this is. This is more significant and more challenging than I realized. You know, weren't able to go to a bowl in year one. We find out halfway through the year that we're going to be able to go. Um, I think, you know, we had 56 scholarship players, uh, five scholarship offensive linemen. Players could quit and leave and transfer with immediate eligibility. (laughs) Players could quit and keep their scholarship and stay um, there was really a divide mm-hmm. on campus and in the community still over what had happened. So it was, it was more challenging, you know, than I realized, but there was still a really good nucleus. And then the other thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is me and Billy O'Brien were pretty close. You know, yeah. we were on the same staff at the university of Maryland. So I was able to talk to him probably probably about 10 times before taking the job to, to mm-hmm. kind of have an understanding of what I was walking into in terms of the players and things like that. But but a complicated place at a complicated time, there's no doubt about yeah. it. You
1: know, this place too has so much history and tradition. And for a long time before you got here, it had a one way they were doing it for a long time. And it was, a lot of, a lot of people felt like they knew how this program should be run. Then you walk in here and you have to balance you have your way that you know works, right? You have the you have the model. You did it at Vanderbilt, but you also have to balance the tradition and history of this place that that had the same head coach for so long yeah. and has all that. How did you go about navigating that with the community, with just the complexities and the tradition this place has?
0: Yeah, this place is change averse, right? Yeah. Like uh, and it has been, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it has been That's for a, a long, <laughs> right? But you know, I, I think a lot of places that have a deep tradition uh, you know of history um, and success, there are a lot of places that are that are like that, right? So I think that's one of the things that I think we did um, a pretty good job of early on is how do you pay respect to the past and the history, mm-hmm. but still move the program forward and make it more of a current, you know, college football yeah. program and model that has a chance to thrive and be successful. Um, that was a battle. The facilities were a battle. I remember when I first, some com, you know, complaining or talking or, or trying to kind of get people all on board that we need to update the facilities. Why? And, <laughs> and yeah. And people are like, why? And, you know, and, and, you know, the interesting thing is it, it's funny. It, it depends on who's telling the story, right? Mm-hmm. What, When Penn State built this facility, it was the nicest building in all of football, college or the NFL, and people came from all over the country to study it and see it. But over time, that kind of had been lost. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was a period where Penn State kind of had the best of everything, and we needed to get back to that. So it was uh, it was challenging and it was surprising. What was the moment? during your
1: time here, where you thought to yourself, where it clicked, it was like, this is going to work. We're, we're, we're building this thing. And, and finally, it feels like we're getting over the hump.
0: Yeah, it, it probably was that year three. Um, you know, it's year three. And it's funny because everybody says, okay, you're taking this job under sanctions, so you're going to have time to build it. But then once the games start, nobody cares <laughs> about care that anymore. That. Nobody cares about that anymore. So it's year three. And it was, there was some people, I guess, that probably felt like we should have had more success at, at, this, you know, at this stage of where we were at. Um, and, you know, we kind of had some, some breakthroughs. You know, p- people forget, I, I say all the time, we lost to Ohio State twice by one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, one with two controversial yeah. calls. And maybe if we get one of those wins, maybe it happens sooner, but in, you know, in 2016, we're able to kind of really take, take a step, win some big games, win some close games. Uh, things fall right in the conference yeah. as well. And we end up, you know, obviously going to the Big Ten Championship. We're getting, we're getting our butts beat by Wisconsin. I think we're down by 21 points. Uh, but that team all year long— we we had struggled in first halves and and flurried back and we were able to do it again on that type of stage and up winning the Big Ten championship um, and I think that was kind of the moment where people stopped talking about the challenges and the issues of the past and it was like yeah you know, we had moved forward and I was extremely proud because with taking the job people were saying it was going to take till now ten years it was going to yeah. take ten years. For the program to ever be resemble what it looked like in the past, so the fact that we were doing in, year, in we were able to do it in year three. I was really, I was yeah. really proud
1: of that. I remember people saying that Penn State wouldn't be able to beat Temple for ten years, and all the all the tweets when that stuff happened. And then it was funny how high the expectation got so quickly when you got here. And that's just
0: the nature of college football we're in now, right? Yeah, yeah. but I, but I think guys like yourself yeah. and and Christian Hackenberg, I got to give him credit as well. You know, you guys specifically, you as as a as a Pennsylvania kid, decided to stay home and commit to Penn State when it wasn't a sexy decision. Yeah. You know, now guys are committing, everybody's going crazy, <laughs> yeah. and and it makes sense. Why wouldn't you go to Penn State, right? Yeah. But you did it at a time uh, that was significant in our history, and I think that's why you know yourself and 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 Hack. I think will be beloved forever in this community and in this state because you stood up for Penn state at a time where it was needed. So, um, you know, kudos Steve. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it, coach.
1: Before we get back to the pod, I want to tell you guys about our new sponsor, the first sponsor of the Next Up Podcast with Adam Brenneman, Manscaped. And the exclusive offer I've secured for all of you. Well, you have to check out the Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 has everything you could ever need to keep you looking your best. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and even a travel bag to hold all your tools. Trust guys, you don't want to miss out on this bundle. So join over 8 million men worldwide who use Manscaped with an exclusive 20% off and free shipping on manscaped.com with code ADAMB, A-D-A-M-B, Put it in manscaped.com when you're checking out. 20% off, that's a huge discount, and free shipping on your order. So I need all of you to show them tons of support by supporting Manscaped and using that code Adam B. It's going to help me, help us a ton, help us grow this podcast and keep getting great guests. So shout out Manscaped. Use the code Adam B at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, the, the one thing I've always respected about you, and I noticed it during the couple years I was here with you, is how committed you are to how, how you do things. The, the process, you had such a clear plan and vision. I mean, even from the repetition of the things you say with the core values every day and uh, talking about relationships all the time, and, and I, I watched you do that, even when things weren't going well in 2014 and 2015, you yep. never change anything. What allowed you to stay so committed to your plan for success, and how did you know so well that that was going to work?
0: Well, I think that goes back to an earlier question about kind of some of the challenges early on. What, typically young people feel like there's only one way to be successful, yeah. right? And this is what we True. know. <laughs> so they're resistant to change. You know, on top of that, for me, I took a job at Vanderbilt, one winning season in 30 years before we had gotten there. Um, I'd gone two in 10, I think, the two previous years before we showed up on campus. And I was just naive enough to take that job and confident enough <laughs> Um, And then we were able to have success there. So I knew that if we could go to a place like Vanderbilt and have success at a place that never really had it before, um, in the SEC, obviously very well-respected conference, that we had to do it there with less. So if we can do it there with less, now let's come to Penn State and do more with more. But the success that we had there really gave me confidence in our model mm-hmm. and how we do it. It, it. it really did. So coming to Penn State, it was okay, we got to figure out the institutional knowledge. We got to figure out the community knowledge as quickly as we possibly can. But the model of how we do football, mm-hmm. that I was confident in. And as you know, you know, if it's major college football or the NFL or a business yep. that you're running, you better have conviction in what you're doing and how you're doing it, or the guys will never buy in. Yeah. And that's something that I've always had is great conviction in, in what we do and how we do yeah. it.
1: You know, I, was, I was down to see Brent Pry yesterday at Virginia Tech, and we were talking about just the whole time at Penn State, talked about you a bunch and what he learned from you. And he, I asked him about what the turning point was that he saw, and he brought up that 2016 Minnesota game. remember being down at halftime after being, I think, 2-2, two and two, and I remember, I was telling him, I remember being at UMass, and I, I used to check the scores at halftime of the Penn State game because all, all my boys were playing. Yeah. I remember seeing Penn State was down at halftime to Minnesota and thinking, this isn't good. Do you remember, what do you, what do you remember about that game, that feeling, and then winning an overtime? That's really, when I think of when things turn around, it was that game that yeah. turned, the, turned the trajectory around. Yeah, I mean, you're
0: right. We're 2-2. Two and two. Um, We're down at halftime. Um, the student section is chanting, fire Franklin. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember. Fire Franklin, fire Franklin, right? And we go in at halftime and we come out and find a way to beat a good Minnesota team. Yeah. They're, a good, they're a good football team. We find a way to win that game. Saquon makes an unbelievable play on a screen pass and then... And then we don't lose again. We win, I think, nine straight yeah, or something yeah. like that. We just we go on a run and go on a tear. And now I'm walking around campus, and the same students are on <laughs> fire, like, "Oh, Coach, you're the best. We've yeah. always been with you." I'm like, "No, I, I remember seeing your face yeah. in the stands." But um, yeah, I, I think obviously that that was a that was a really important time, and we were able to gain confidence and momentum and build. Mm-hmm. An interesting thing too is. Like, you think about that first recruiting class. I got the job, like, January 18th, like, as the worst time to get a job. And um, you think back about how many of those guys in that first class Mm -hmm. ended up playing in the NFL, ended up having really good careers. Um, And, you know, I say that because I think about the play that Saquon made. And Saquon, people forget, when I got the job, was committed to Rutgers, Rutgers, you know, so these guys like this that you're able to kind of flip and get on board, the reality is I can have as much conviction as I want. If I don't have guys like yourself in the locker room that can go out and execute the plan, you don't have a chance. Yeah.
1: I wanted to ask you too about your philosophy around relationships. It's something you talk about a lot. you you say the program's built on it. I've also witnessed how you build relationships and even some, with some of my friends and teammates that played for you, even with myself and how you've, I played for you for didn't even play is a is a I'm using that term loosely I didn't even play for you I was on your team for two years and the way you've helped me throughout my career and just I've seen you build and keep relationships with with players and I've seen you do things that's not traditional for football coaches I've seen you cry in front of the team I've seen you talk about love and that's not normal for football coaches where does that philosophy come from and why is that so important to you?
0: Yeah. So a couple things. It probably starts with my college coach, Denny Dowds, who was the head coach at East Stroudsburg for 51 years. When I got into the profession, I live with him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sit on the back porch and eat Klondike bars. Um, but, I'm, but I'm also just a big believer. You got to be true to who you are and you got to be authentic. And most importantly, you got to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think people are drawn and attracted to people that are comfortable in their own skin. Even if you're a weirdo, <laughs> you know what I mean? But but you're comfortable with who you are. So for me, I've always been an emotional guy. I've always been a been a passionate guy. My wife is not like we'll be sitting there watching TV, and a Hallmark commercial will come on, and I get emotional. She looks over. Yeah, she looks over. Like, are you kidding me right now? But that, that's just kind of that's just kind of who I am. But yeah. back back to the relationships. I mean, I think for a lot of us, right? You, you get into this game, and you get into this profession, and you think about the impact that coaches have had on your life. You know, I grew up in a single, you know, parent home with my mom and my sister, and I think about the impact that college coaches had on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it was always about the relationship first—the relationship with my teammates and the relationship with my coaches. So from from that point on, I just really felt like if we could start everything based on relationships. And when you study kind of the most successful businesses and things like that, it can, you know, Beaver stadium is awesome. 107,000. Our weight room that we just finished is phenomenal. But at the end of the day, it's about the people in the stadium. It's about the people in the lash building. So I just have always believed that if the players know how much I truly care Mm -hmm. about them and their futures and their families, then that's going to allow me to be really demanding and challenging on them because they know it's coming from a good place. Now there's issues with that. I almost didn't take the Penn State job because I had a really Vanderbilt. hard time yeah. saying bye to those guys at Vanderbilt because I was invested mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. You know, So uh, that's just something that's really worked for me. I can be really demanding and challenging on people and push them to a place they need to go mm-hmm. because they know how much I care about them, their families, and their futures. Yeah.
1: That's always a tough balance, I think, for coaches. You know, I, When I was with Herm Edwards, he would always say, you can't be their friend. That's what he would always say to the young coaches, and, and you have young coaches too. How do you balance that wanting to be a player's coach, wanting them to love you, wanting them to like you, have that relationship, but also they need to respect you, and you need to be demanding and be able to have those tough conversations. What's, how do you balance that? And then what's your advice for young
0: coaches that, that, you know, have to deal with that dynamic as well. Yeah. I do not want to be their friends. <laughs> and and I will, I will say, it's just like, it's funny people come, we have a camp and I always speak to the parents in the beginning of camp. Like I'm always trying to convince them, like, stop going down there to watch your son yeah. run a slow 40. Come talk to me because <laughs> I'm going to tell you about this process and I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that's a little bit of a problem with our society right now is you got way too many parents trying to be their kids' friends yeah. rather than their parents. And what I say all the time is in a healthy relationship, whether it's your wife or whether it's your parents or whether it's your coach, just because you have a really good relationship and you're really close doesn't mean it's always puppies, rainbows, yeah. hugs, and kisses. Mm-hmm. Like. When somebody really cares about you, they'll have the hard conversation with you. They'll push you outside of your comfort zone. Um, They're going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And to me, that's when you have a chance to make an impact in people's lives. And it's just like I'm talking to the leadership council and the captains about right now. You have to be willing to hold your teammates accountable. And, and I don't think enough people do that now. Are you willing to have the tough conversations? So to me, you know, I, I want them to know I care, yeah. but not your buddy. <laughs> I'm not your buddy, I'm not your friend, and I'm willing yeah. to have these conversations with you. And hopefully they can interpret is, okay, this guy cares about me. That's why he's having the yeah. conversation. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I always think that great head coaches
1: great leaders are they're one great communicators and two, they can relate to a multiple, to a range of people, right? Different backgrounds. How did, how does your background, your childhood, the way you were raised uh, impact how you recruit and how you relate to players?
0: Yeah. So I think my background is probably one of my greatest strengths, yeah. right? Is, is I'm biracial. Mm-hmm. My dad was African-American uh, was in, was in the air force, was stationed in Manchester, England uh, went to, you know, uh, went to England. Met my met my mom. They eloped to Ireland. Got married. He brought her back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Started popping out beige <laughs> babies. Me and my sister. Um, but I do think that's one of my greatest strengths. Uh, although my mom really raised me, all my family in the United States is African American. All my mom's family's in England. So I was just raised around. Uh, a very diverse background, grew up in a fairly predominantly white area. So I am very comfortable really in any setting. Yeah. And whether it is a rural area, whether it's an urban area, uh, whether it's religious differences, racial differences, whatever it may be, socioeconomic differences, I'm very comfortable. So I think there, there is power in that. I'm very comfortable Uh, going to your home and talking to you and your family. I'm very comfortable going um, into an inner city Mm -hmm. situation. And I think there's times where coaches may say, hey, this is a delicate subject. I'm not comfortable talking about this. Let me go get another coach on my staff (laughs) to handle this topic. Mm -hmm. I've never had to do that. Um, And I think that is... I think that is important. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying just being biracial um, is the reason I can do that. I think really anybody can do that. But I do think it's made me comfortable having these conversations and maybe challenging people on certain topics um, at an earlier point in my life and career that maybe others weren't.
1: Let me ask you this. How have you changed or evolved as a coach since maybe I was on your team in 2014?
0: Yeah, I, I think a number of things. Um, I think probably the biggest thing is I'm still very passionate. I'm still very emotional. Um, but I'll probably now take a deep breath before like going off. Um, I never and, heard that. That's yeah, funny. yeah. <laughs> and really, probably even more so at Vanderbilt than coming here because I really felt like when I came here, Because of all the rules and the sanctions and players being able to leave at any point, if you coach them too hard, they could just bounce. (laughs) So I felt like when I was first getting here is how do I navigate, not just Penn State, but how do I navigate these rules? Mm. But I just feel like over time, um, you just gain some perspective and you gain some experience. And although my emotions are important to me and my passion is important to me, I think the older you get, you just say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath before doing it, um, before making a decision. And then I think the other thing is I've always been a communicator, but every decision I make, major decision, I want to hear from the players. Mm -hmm. I want to hear from the staff. I want to hear from the coaches for me to make the best decisions from the AD, the president for me to make the best decisions for the overall organization. I must hear all these perspectives Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes back to diversity, right? Why is diversity important? Because I need to hear all these different perspectives so I don't have any blind spots Mm -hmm. uh, so that ultimately I can make the best decisions for Penn State. And I've always been comfortable with that, but I'm more comfortable than ever. And there's sometimes, I may not agree with you right now, but I sleep on it the next morning. I go, you know what? You You were right. You are right, that's the better way to do this. Before we get back
1: to the pod, let me tell you guys about my favorite way to make money on sports and fire on sports. It's PrizePix. PrizePix is sponsoring this pod, and I love it because I actually use it all the time. I've been trying different sports books, different daily fantasy apps, and PrizePix is by far the best. PrizePix is different than regular sports books or sports betting because on PrizePix, you're picking players, not teams. So if you know sports, know ball, know what players are gonna ball out, you can make tons of money. On PrizePix, each player has a set projected total for a stat, let's say points, rebounds. If it's Steph Curry, thirty points. You pick higher or lower for Steph Curry. Super fun, and you can make tons of money. I've been ripping on it, and I have a special promo code for you guys to get a hundred dollar deposit bonus with the code NextUp. Use the code NextUp when you download Prize Picks, or click the link in the description. And it'll do it automatically for you. Code NextUp gets you a hundred dollar deposit bonus, so you can fire on sports on Prize Picks. Let's rock on Prize Picks. Now back to the pot. After the twenty twenty one season, you signed a ten year contract for a lot of money and, uh, made a long-term commitment to this place. You also did it when I think the AD transition was happening, right? You weren't quite sure who the athletic director was going to be. Weren't quite sure. I I believe the school president transition was happening as well. You know, you talk about alignment a lot, but you also didn't know when you committed to this place long-term, who, who was going to be your boss. What made you believe in Penn State so much that you were willing to sign that deal without knowing who was going to be in charge?
0: Yeah, I don't recommend it. I've done this multiple times now. I took the Penn State job originally with an interim Dave president Joyner, right? and an yeah. interim AD, Dave Joyner. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. I'm very, I'm very thankful for Dave. Um, but then again, I signed a 10-year contract, and the, the president had announced his retirement, uh, and, and then the AD decided to retire. So once again, here I am. But I think to your point, a guy by the name of Matt Schuyler and Matt is the chair of the board. And ultimately, that's my boss. It's funny. The players always say, well, you're the boss. No, I just work for different people, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and Matt Schuyler is the chair of the board at Penn State. And we've been talking for years about alignment. And, and Matt essentially runs Hilton Worldwide, uh, lives in Northern Virginia, yeah. has been awesome. And me and Matt have been talking about alignment for a long time. And he just kept telling me to be patient and be patient. I'm like, well, there's not a whole lot of patience (laughs) in this industry. Um, But basically, you know, I made that commitment to him and the board. And um, they went out and hired two unbelievable, you know, people. Ben Bendapudi, Dr. Bendapudi, if you haven't met her yet, you ought to do one of these with her. She is a ball of positive energy and any room she comes in Mm -hmm. just takes over the room with with her infectious energy, not only for for Penn State, but for for young people and and students. Um, And then we went out and hired Pat Kraft and to have an AD who played football in the Big Ten uh, and gets it and as and aggressive um, is what we really needed here yeah. at Penn State. So we have alignment now um, for really for the first time you know, that I've ever been a head coach back to Vanderbilt and, and now Penn State, uh, and it's rejuvenated me in a lot of ways when I didn't even really know I needed to be rejuvenated.
1: Yeah. You know, One part of the coaching carousel I think fans don't realize is anytime there's a a big school that comes open, your name gets thrown in by the media, right? USC, other, other jobs, your name has been rumored around. Is it true? And I believe it is that sometimes those conversations are really used to get what you really need out of Penn State and to be, to be used as leverage with Penn State. So you can build this program the way
0: you want to build it. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's an important point, right? It, it does a couple things. It creates leverage mm-hmm. with where you're at, but it also allows you to see clearly what the commitment level sure. is. And for me, it's re- really never been the finances. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I know that's a part and you, and, you, and you threw that out there in the beginning and I get that. But for me, if you really study all my contracts, all my contracts were about how do we put the program in the best position to be successful? And it's funny you bring that up because at Vanderbilt, I remember having that conversation with the AD. I was there three years and had three different contracts all three years. And the AD said that to me, your contract allows me to get some things done in the athletic department that I need to get done. And your contract allows me to have conversations with the president, um, you know, with the chancellor, with the board, whatever it may be. So so yeah, there, there is a part of that uh, for sure. But I think it kind of gives clarity to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny. It, a lot of times coaches get put in a tough position because you're asked about it. Well, I, I can't control yeah. the fact that this name, my name has been brought up or somebody's had this conversation. Um, but yeah, it can be useful. It can be useful for the university. It can be useful for the athletic department. It can be useful for the coach to kind of see where he stands and and is there a true commitment I talk about that all the time, and I think it's very, very important. There's very few schools in the country that it's like this. Does the commitment level match the expectations? And, you know, a lot of schools, it doesn't. And and I actually think it'd be fair if if the president AD would come out and say, listen, I know what the fans' expectation levels. Our commitment doesn't match that. But, but the, the coach, a lot of times, is held to that standard you talk
1: about getting a lot of yeses now with Pat Kraft in, in charge of the athletic department. What's an example of some of those yeses that you get? Because sometimes they're, they're little things, right? They're the extra staff member. They're maybe, with the transfer portal, you got to build out another personnel department. What, what are some of the yeses that you get now with Pat Kraft in charge?
0: Yeah, so it, it's probably better to illustrate it, you know, to use both, right? You know, you, over time, you get all these no's, these yeah. little no's, and they wear on you. And some of them... Are financial, and I get it. There's there's budgetary issues that have to be factored in, but some of them are not. They're just philosophical decisions, either in the athletic department or on the campus, um, decisions that need to be made. Yeah. Um, and we would get a lot of nos, and a lot of times I didn't understand why they were nos, right? And and with Pat over the last year. It's amazing just how many more yeses we're going to get. And I I guess I'll give you an example. So a few years back, we lost a big-time recruit that really wanted to come here. But one of the sticking points for him and his family was all the other schools that we were recruiting against, the freshman football players were in singles. Their dorms were singles. And at Penn State, they were always be they were always the traditional dorm, two in one room, the bathroom yeah, down well, the hallway. There, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> you know. So um, that was something I've been trying to get done for nine years. Mm-hmm. Literally, just got it done wow. this year. And we lost a recruit to another school. Was a you know high profile recruit, mm-hmm. and he went there and had a great career, and then got drafted into the NFL. And like, what people don't understand is that guy may have made one play yeah. in one game yeah. that could have been the difference between us making the playoffs or not, yeah. or getting into a big 10 championship game or not, or mm. beating a certain team that we've lost to by one point. That, yeah. that could have been the difference. And all those little no's add up just like all those little yeses add up. And right now there's more yeses yeah. than ever. And I think that's an example.
1: Yeah, since you've been here, you've, I think four, four 11 win seasons, three near six bowl wins. I got the stats in front of me, won a Big Ten championship. And at a time when this was a tough place to do it, you brought it out of the dark ages. I still feel like there's somewhat of a perception in the national media that this place hasn't reached its full potential. Do you believe that this program and where it's at gets enough credit nationally?
0: Well, I think again, I think it depends on who you're talking to. I think the people that covered Penn State and really understood yeah, no. what Penn State went through, those people, I think, totally get it yeah. because they're keeping it in perspective. The program wasn't even supposed to be anywhere near this for 10 years. So I'm very proud of that. And the people that I talk to are very aware. But I think what happens is when you've been as close that we have, mm-hmm. we, we win the Big Ten Championship in 2016, don't, don't get into the playoffs. the playoffs. Ohio State does. Yeah. Um, when you've been as close as we have been, I get it. People like, okay, you got it back. Now take the next step. Yeah. Well, that's harder than than people realize, especially when you don't have the alignment that yeah. that we just got done discussing. But I tell people all the time, like, if you're outside of the top twenty five and you're trying to get into the top twenty five, that's hard. Mm-hmm. When you get inside to the top twenty five, you're trying to get inside the top fifteen. that's that's hard. That's a there's a big jumps. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the top ten, that jump from the top ten into the top four is much wider. Than those other jumps are. So when you're scratching and clawing, and the margin of error is so small, yeah. all those things add up, and that alignment is is critical. Yeah,
1: I want to talk about NIL for a little bit, and I, I've said for a long time that Penn State on paper should be a leader in NIL with all with the the fan base, all the the community support. How would you assess where Penn State is in the NIL department?
0: Well, to your point, one of the things that's really powerful that a lot of people don't know about Penn State is all of the, the you know, Commonwealth campuses yeah. across the state of Pennsylvania that used to be feeder, mm. you know, really feeder institutions for the university, but that all became their own, you know, institutions, four-year institutions. That is powerful. Mm. And none of them have football. Mm. So they're all Penn State football fans. Um, So when you talk about seven hundred and fifty thousand living alumni, there is power in those numbers and with the brand. But we got to tap into it, Mm -hmm. and it's not just Penn State. There's a lot of schools that I know that have really taken a lot of pride in how they have done things and following the rules and all these things from an NCAA perspective. It is a major shift. Mm. It is a major fit shift to change your mind to say, you're telling me now we can give yeah. players uh, you know, money? Um, so getting people on board with that. The other thing is for the first two years, we weren't bold and aggressive with that rule. And yeah. I don't care what industry you're in, when the rules change, better you better <laughs> adapt, and you better adapt quickly. Yeah. And we didn't do that. So... Um, I would say two years ago, we were way behind. Three years ago, we were way behind. In the last year, we're starting to make some significant progress, but we're two years behind. Um, I think Pat Kraft has recognized that, has done a great job of going out and educating our people. That's what we're doing as a football program as well. But we need all of the Penn Staters worldwide to understand this is where we're at. And again, back to that commitment level versus expectations, this is a really good example. And if all 750,000 alumni would just do something, yeah. there's tremendous power in that. When it comes to the transfer portal, how has, I mean, really the portal com-
1: combined with NIL, how has it changed your overall philosophy from a recruiting standpoint, roster management standpoint, and it's even changed your staff structure? And, and also the need to win right now, and maybe that's taking more transfers versus building this program for success for the long haul. How do you balance all that with the portal?
0: Yeah, I, I look at it, you know, a little bit like people used to back in the old days with junior colleges, yeah. where you'd go to the junior college to solve an immediate problem, but you didn't want to build your program that way. We kind of the transfer portal the same way. We hope our culture is good that guys will stay and still grow and evolve and mature within the program and feel like they can achieve all of their dreams here um, and have a maturity with them and have a relationship with them that you can be honest yeah. you know, with them. So that's the first part. The second part is we're going to go into the transfer portal like the junior colleges to solve problems where we have immediate needs. And for us, a lot of times it has been with young men that we recruited on the front end. So there's already an established relationship, which I think also helps reduce risk. We know what we're bringing into the program. Now, I say that if we have a year where our transfer portal numbers spike and they spike late, then we're probably going to have to go into the transfer portal because that's the only option at that point to solve those problems. But the other thing is back to the NIL. If you look... The NIL with the top players coming out of the transfer portal, um, that's where that NIL is probably quarterbacks mm. in high school recruiting got leverage. <laughs> and transfer portal is probably yeah. where the NIL is most impactful. Um, and for us right now, we don't really have the NIL structure to support that. Um, but also philosophically, I don't know if I necessarily want to build my team through and through transfer portal alone as well, Uh, but there needs to be a balance. If we got a need and we can go get somebody that can really help us, uh, we got to be able to do what we need to do. Yeah, some schools just had to change the way they were paying players, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, let's be honest. The schools that had a culture of giving already. They, they just culture changed. Well, yeah, I, I think that's the truth, right? They're, they're, they've, they were used to it, yeah. whether it was legal or not. They've already got a culture of that, and they just went from doing it illegally yeah. to legally. Yeah. I know it sounds like a nice way to say it, but, it, but it's the reality culture of it. Of yeah,
1: that's great. Uh, I want to ask about your family. I know how important they are to you. I've, I remember your girls when they were young being around the building when I was here and your wife. You know, how do you balance the need to build this program as a championship program? while also having a family at home. I mean, I know, the, I know the rigors of this job, and I know one of your core values is must be willing to sacrifice, right? And there's a lot of sacrifice yeah. that goes into it. How do you balance that? How do you make sure you know, that you're you know, present at home, but also can, can build this program
0: the right way? Yeah, well, I think a couple things. I think, number one, being in state college helps with that, yeah. because literally, if I wanted to run and have lunch with my kids at school, yeah. I could do that, like, 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's not like some places where it's 20 minutes or 45 minutes based on traffic. Like, we don't really have those issues. Or, my wife and kids come into the office, but there's also, you got to build that as part of your culture. Like, I've been places, hell, oh, we're a family, but nobody's comfortable bringing their family into the <laughs> yeah. building. So, like, you know, you, you brought up Brent Pry. I remember Brent Pry, me chasing his daughters down the hallway. Yeah. Um, and I wanted I wanted my wife and kids to be in the facility as much as possible because I know there's some nights that if they don't come by the facility, by the time I get yeah. home they they they're gonna be asleep. I wouldn't see them. So I think you know that's one of the reasons why we all work hard, right? Is hopefully you can work at a place or work for someone uh, in this industry that's gonna create that. A mm-hmm. hey, look, a hey coach. You know, my son plays Friday night. Can I not be at the meetings and go to his game? Yeah, you should go. Or my daughter's got a recital. Can I go to that? You should go. Um, But I think a lot of people in interview settings say that, but they don't don't really create it. (laughs) They don't really create it. And and we've worked really hard at it. And for me, that's what I want to do with my wife and kids. And if I'm going to provide that opportunity for my wife and kids, I want my assistants and staff to, to be able to do that
1: too. If you could go back and talk to the James Franklin that's taking the Penn State job in 2014, just leaving Vanderbilt, what advice would you give him right now?
0: That's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think the first thing is I, I should have studied more about the sanctions and really understood so, yeah. that in detail. Not only what it meant to the team, but also what it meant to the roster, and, and, and have maybe more dialogue. I think the other thing is because I got the job so late, we were scrambling in recruiting at already yeah. a class, a, a team that only had 56 scholarship players. <laughs> so like it was a scramble, but I probably didn't spend enough time with my current team. Yes. And I think that's always a challenge, right? When a, when a coach gets a new job, not only do you need to recruit the class that's coming in, you need to recruit your current team, and you need to spend enough time. And it was magnified here because there had been so much turnover that I needed to spend more time. Um, that would probably be the biggest thing, and then and then be able to spend some guys spend some time with guys like Scrap Bradley, yeah. you know, Tom, Tom Bradley, Scrap, who was here forever um and be able to spend more significant time with him or lavar who's upstairs right now like talk to me about penn state and what do i really need to know to navigate this place because all these places are sophisticated and just because this is what we did at vanderbilt that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work here there's lessons you can take from there but it better be specific to the job you
1: got a couple of things I got for you, Coach. Uh, we had Drew Aller on the podcast, and he was awesome. Taught them for a while. Great kid, great personality, great mindset. I, I told him when, when I was talking to him, spending time around this community, I feel like there's as much expectation and excitement about this team uh, than I can remember. I mean, there's so much excitement, so many people talking about th- this program, and excitement for Drew specifically. I mean, every, I was at I was at the uh, go- the Coaches vs. Cancer Golf Outing. Everyone's coming out to me. How's Drew Aller? How's Drew Aller? How do you handle that expectation with the team, but also Drew specifically, who hasn't started a game
0: yet at at Penn State, and yet everyone's so excited to see him? Yeah, I I think, you know, outside of the Lash building, you know, I try not to answer those questions. Like, you know, people are asking, and then like, I I really just try to downplay it as much as possible. But inside the building, as you know, as a former player, we don't really talk about those things. It's like, are we working the way we need to work. Are we preparing the way we need to prepare to do the things that we want to do starting with West Virginia? Mm -hmm. Nothing else matters. If we're doing those things, the games take care of themselves. Um, Does it help if you start higher, you know, with where your rankings are? Yes, because if you're outside of the top 25, TCU was able to do it, but that's hard to do. Um so I, I think the excitement is great and there's a reason for that, right? We got a ton of really good players returning. We were able to end the season with a really good win on the road, essentially, heard, at the yeah. Rose Bowl um, against a really good Utah team. I got a ton of respect for, for, for Coach Whittingham and what he's been able to do there. Um, so there's a lot of momentum coming into the season. And then we had so many young players that played really well. And then you got a guy like Olu Fishanu yeah. who decides to come back. Um, and then Drew, You know, to your point, Drew gets in games last year and you can do all the drills you want, but the thing that he showed his poise. He looks so comfortable when he was in there. And I'm talking like Purdue game one on the road in the big 10. So there's, there's, there's reasons for it and I get it, but we just try to control the things that we can control, which is how we're working, how we're preparing, how we're building our chemistry as a team. Um, and then go out and, and hopefully prove people right. Mm. And Prove some people wrong. Yeah, I'm already asking you media type questions, aren't I? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You, you're that guy. You're that guy. You change quickly. Yeah.
1: Uh, last thing I got for you is, you know, if if this place and this program is to win a national championship, get to the pinnacle, the goal you want, what are the one or two things that still need to happen? When? What's that? You said if when, when we do when. it. When? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Speaking into yes, existence. Yes. Speaking into
0: existence. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that for for that to happen. It's the things that I'm talking about. We are we are better positioned to do those things right now than ever before. Yeah. Um, our staff, I feel as good about our staff as I have in a long time. When you're able to retain your staff, you're able to have the budget to retain your staff in terms of a returning offensive coordinator, a veteran-established, yeah. proven offensive coordinator, same thing at yeah. defense with Manny, and then same thing on special teams. There's no turnover Um, we've had some assistant turnovers, but not much, but in terms of what we do and how we do it, the players all know that. So we're able to hit the ground running alignment. If there's something we need and it's important and it's going to impact winning, I can make a call to Pat craft and, and it can go up the chain of command and we can get things done and we can get things done quickly. You know, one of the reasons we're having a great recruiting class, two of our top recruits, met with Neely Bendapudi dr. Bendapudi, yeah. our president, she killed it. they committed yeah. like literally that weekend like that alignment matters. So I just think we're we're better positioned than ever before uh, really the one thing that's lagging that we got to get right is Nil yeah. and and I think we're headed in the right direction but also being willing to talk about it like this publicly. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, a bunch of Penn Staters you know, uh, understand the importance of it.
1: Yeah, well, Coach, I appreciate all your time. I could talk to you for three hours, but I appreciate, but I appreciate your time in a busy, busy month, and uh, I'm excited to, to see, you know, see you this season and, and see all the success you have and appreciate all the, all the things you've done for me and the relationship we have. So I appreciate It's been
0: awesome to see what you're doing and yeah. how you're doing it. I'm not surprised one bit. I also would like to invite you back during camp set up right up on our balcony, awesome. overlooking the field, do your show. We'll give you access to a lot of people in the building. Uh, but I'm not surprised the success you're having. Uh, and we're happy. Uh, we're happy and proud of you. Appreciate it, coach. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. That was easy, right? Yeah. yeah. Too bad. <laughs>